This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable! From the Embassy Row Studios in the crap part of Soho, it's the Men in Blazers podcast, Raj. It's our Fat Tuesday special, David. It is? Yeah, Fat Tuesday, brought yeah. to you by Pi. And very thin heads. What are you yeah. giving up for Lent, David? Oh, I haven't even thought about that. Come on. I'm not a big Lent giver-upper of things. I am. Okay, what are you giving up? For then Lent. I'll think about it. Yeah, good for Lent, because you, I know you like to observe the Catholic holidays. I'm a very religious man. I like to observe the holidays of all religions. <laughs> I think I'm going to give up hair again this year, mate. <laughs> again? Yeah, again. Oh, my. What would I like to stop doing? I mean, I feel like always... I feel like this a lot. I'm going to be 51 on Friday, Rog. I'm going to be 51. You look younger now than when I first met you. Flaming years old on Friday. Yep. And I feel like I'd need to cut back on the sauce. You do? I need to cut back on the sauce. I do. I drink too much sauce. <sighs> What's too much? A lot every night. Yeah. This is my 12-step program. But I'm recognising I've got a problem. What is a lot? Well, no, I have two or three drinks. I, I never get drunk. Yep. But that's probably because I drink so much sauce, it never affects me very much. But Strategy. I, just, I, like, I like a drink. Do you know, can I give you some life advice? Yeah. Use bigger glasses. <laughs> <laughs> it's the yeah. Sam Allardyce. Yeah. It's the Sam Allardyce approach to wine. He only has one, but it's no. a pint of wine. I think that's just genius. Just keep it to one a night and yeah. make it a pint of no, wine. No, I need to cut back on the sauce, but I don't quite know how I'm going to go and do that. But my diet's so improved, Rod, since I became pescatarian Devo. And then when you turned to a certain angle when I walked into your office yeah, today... I was invisible. I was I like said to Stanley. You, I said to you that from a certain angle, you're almost yeah. not there. Yeah. You're like Lauren Koscielny's face, yeah. but the whole body of it. And just then, the thinnest thing in And then football. from another angle, I'm definitely there. <laughs> it takes a lot of... There's, there's, you know, at this age, it takes a lot of sucking in all the time. I'll tell you one of my recent discoveries. I've got to talk about this on the Amazon Emporium. You know what? Save it. I'm going to talk about it on the Emporium. Oh, well, I can't, I'm going to speed yeah. through the rest of the podcast just to yeah. get there. Okay. But let's jump into the main item on our agenda, Dave, in yeah. this, this, the early part of the podcast, and we do, in which we do everything we can to not talk, talk about, about football. Yeah, without a doubt. Oscars, mate. Oh, the Academy Awards. I don't normally relate to them. Yeah. There's such an anachronism, like a, an aftertaste of the artificiality of the 80s and the 90s yeah. that doesn't play so well in our allegedly more transparent era, Yeah, which is to say they're truly boring. Yeah. But ultimately, I really related to this, like this year's Oscars. <laughs> you did? Yeah. I mean, it was the men in blazers of Oscars. What do you mean? Because the way it ended? The level of suboptimality yeah. to which we aspire to. Yeah. I mean, we will chat about the Oscar flubbo flubs yeah. in one moment. Envelope the, gate. The day the Oscars went full on one day. Yeah. But Jimmy Kimmel said, it really takes, you really know something's not good <laughs> when the word envelope trends on Twitter. <laughs> it's like globally, worldwide, envelope. You don't want to be in the envelope. Uh, yeah. You don't want you don't your want name to be in the envelope. Yeah. But I want to go back to the beginning, David. Yeah. Because I did. I had a, just a. A moment of awakening right at the beginning. Yeah. During the Oscar red carpet. Mm -hmm. And I realized the Oscar red carpet show. Yeah. It's just like a really prolonged Premier League tunnel. <laughs> it is. It is. Sort of, uh, they could actually rebrand yeah. tunnel yes. and just call it red the Premier carpet. League red carpet. Yes. Thank they you. They could sell that. Why have they not? I don't know. And by the way, while we're talking about this, yeah. Premier League tunnel, it's become yeah. so bloody boring this season. Yeah. It's just an empty stage to be claimed right now in the absence yeah. of Joe Hart yeah. by a young virtuoso to make their own. Lyndon Gooch, I know you listen to this pod, 
So let me choose you. When you fight your way back into that Sunderland side, just get into that tunnel and please make it your own. Own it. Start unleashing one avant-garde performance after another. Pull a string of handkerchiefs out of your throat, man. I think we've Casually. As, 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 or like the person you pull out a $10 from their ear. As you mentioned Ooh. that, I imagine that we could, I mean, not that, you know, anybody of note listens to this, but in some ways I would pitch ourselves to cover the red carpet for the Premier League. <sighs> we could be there like Seacrest on the side interviewing people. What are you wearing? Joma. <laughs> exactly. What are you wearing? <laughs> I'm wearing the same thing that he is. What are you wearing? I'm I'm wearing the same. I can I'm wearing the same thing that he is. I can see from the Arsenal eleven nipples yeah. are really in. They're really on point this year. Yeah, very good. See, we could do that. Yeah, we could make it work. The Premier League red carpet. <sighs> Interview the the refs about what they're wearing. Oh, they make it so. I know please. that would use be your, so use good. your sway. There were some lovely moments in the Oscars. Oh, uh, my favourite. Yeah, look, as you know, I've got some previous with the Academy Awards. I was the executive producer for ABC in 1998 and 1999. I sort of sat in the truck on that show. I was around that 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 whole award show. And I've got a lot of previous with James Kimmel, who uh, I've worked with for a very long time. We were mixed on Kimmel. You really liked him. I, I th- thought he was absolutely outstanding. I thought his opening was very good. Yeah. Very hard to do what he did, which was walk a line, yet land almost every joke without compromising your values. It was a phenomenal piece of writing. His ad-libs, bit old man. If I were Mahershala Ali, I wouldn't have been as so gracious as he mocked my name. And that tour bus routine, it reminded me like of class tourism, going to watch football in hold just for the kicks. Oh, I but actually think, I thought that the bus routine had envelope gate not happened and overshadowed that. I thought that was the cleverest original bit done on the Academy Awards in memory. The, the, the collision of the informality and the formality of taking two parts of Hollywood, these two extremes of Hollywood, a Hollywood tour bus who, I mean, it's the, that is the one extreme and the front row of the Academy Awards and watching the way that those celebrities in the front row were experiencing that and how they it was the acting job of their lives yeah. <laughs> to look happy to be, that that to was happening to pretend that they had to touch them without oh Purell it was, for, me, was for me it was moment. awful for me it was truly oh, it was just it was so absolutely utterly grating it was like yeah. as if Arsenal fan TV came through the looking glass in every regard what would possibly be wrong with that <laughs> before we get into the flub of flubs I want yeah. to say two quick things I did love Vigo Mortensen yeah. pulling out the San Lorenzo flag mm. his Argentine football team when the camera zoomed in on him for his nomination for Best Actor at the Oscars. I just adored it. He knew he wasn't going to win. So he just used the moment to show his true footballing colours. Yeah, amazing. Leaning on this team in a moment of angst, like, well, like I do, I guess. Football as a security blanket. Also love Mark Rylance. Yeah. Coming on, talking about the notion of learning to oppose without hatred. Yeah. Words to live by. Yeah. Lovely so com- I had a bit of a problem with the hat. Other than that, it was all Yeah, good. hats. I, well, didn't, I didn't love the hat. We got, a, we got a lovely raven about what we believe about <laughs> balding men who are wedded to wearing hats, which Ooh, is... Yeah. It's, a, it's its own form. It's its own subcategory yeah, of balding. so right. But it is a lovely companion to my grandfather's life motto, yeah. hate with reason. He looks more and more like English stoner Claudio Ranieri. Although he did say in that, I must say... I th- I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. But he I said that, this part too. that he said that women, women do this so much better yes. with men of not opposing with hate. Yeah. I, 
And I, you know, I, I properly love women. You do. I You've had many wives. First, first three, <laughs> and my first three bosses were women. Embassy Rowers is a vast majority female yeah, it's a company. Va- it's a- I love. I promote the careers of women. Yeah. But in my experience, women are so much more cutthroat when it comes to like cutting you off, telling, like ending you in your life. And I actually think they hate brilliant women are so much better at hating than men. It's so men true. are like lame at it. Yeah. Mark Rylance clearly not watched. Yeah, solely mm. play in goal for the U.S. women's national team. Yeah, want to say this though, Mark Rylance tops a list of men I'd love to go out on the lash with. A <laughs> night out with him and Miguel yeah. Herrera, it would be the night of my dreams. But we've got to go to the flub, yeah. Davo. Yeah. You understand how television works. What yeah. happened, man? Well, I mean, uh, the amazing thing, Jimmy Kimmel. I, I encourage all of you to watch the monologue he did on his show on Monday night last night, and it's on his um, it's on his Twitter feed, and he explains what happens from his point of view. Um, and the interesting thing, he was in the audience because the plan for the end of the show was that he was sitting next to Matt Damon and after the Best Picture Oscar <laughs> happened, he was going to say, well, the winner is, but we can all agree that Matt Damon is the loser. And that was the end of the whole show and how it was going to end. So he's sitting there next to Matt Damon in the audience and he suddenly starts watching it all going haywire on stage. And Matt Damon says to him, I think that there's been a mistake. And Jimmy's like, what? And then he's thinking, you know, surely somebody should step up there and explain what's going on, like the host or something. And then he realizes that he's the host and he's sitting in the audience and he has to get up there. And he goes up there and it's just chaos. Nobody knows what's happening. If you watch the clip again of the envelope open, it's very clear that Warren Beatty knows that it's wrong. He's looking off to the side past Faye Dunaway. Bless and then he throws her so sensationally under the bus because he realizes it's wrong that it says Emma Stone, La La Land. And he hands it to Faye and has her read it. It was the most <laughs> sensational throwing of his, his co-star on their 50th anniversary uh-huh. uh, uh, under the bus. And um, look, the, in the production of the Academy Awards, the production itself, even the Academy, do not know what's in those envelopes. It is... Price Waterhouse Coopers, it's the accountants who keep it. They manage that entire process. But they do have a series of backup envelopes, and they have the main envelopes. They have backups for, you know, in case anything happens to the main envelope. And they just happen to... I always find to, that in life, nine times you never want a backup. out of ten are caused by backup envelopes. Never have backup. We'll never have backup anything. You don't want to backup anything. Always a big mistake. So uh, they just put two backup envelopes in a row, and that was it. There was no... Um, there's no conspiracy, but it, it's the worst mistake that you can possibly have happen on any award show. The biggest award show in the world is the Academy Awards, and the biggest, biggest award is Best Picture. It ended up being absolutely phenomenal television, what happened. I mean, it was amazing. Here's what I want to ask you. Yeah. For just over a minute, mm-hmm. La La Land was the best picture. Do you think that was still... <laughs> The best minute of the producers' lives. No. Or does it become tarnished in retrospect? Hear me out. Yeah. I mean, you know when you're climbing a mountain and you break the tree line yeah. and you just reach the peak. You peak. Yeah. You peak. Does it matter that you only peak for 72 seconds? I mean, they still felt the That's feelings no, of no, no, peaking. No. That's not the, the analogy. that they practiced for weeks in their underpants in the bathroom mirror so they could say it as if repression is the enemy of civilization had just yeah. come off the top of their heads in that yeah. minute, kind of casual style. Yeah. 
That's not a correct analogy, because in that, you get to the top of the tree line, and you still have the experience of seeing the view, and that view, that can never be taken away from you, because that view was real. Mm. It would be, it would be, if you got to the top of the, you thought you got to the top of the tree line, but actually what you were watching was a synthetic view that didn't really exist, because they did not really win the Academy Award. <laughs> they had a moment as though they won the Academy Award when they didn't. This is how I'd explain it. Yeah, would you? If, if you ever, if there's something you love, like your wallet, or your phone, and you lose it. Pie. It's the worst feeling in the world when you lose it. The best feeling is, is when you find it again, something that you love that you thought you lost. Let's say it's a precious ring, it's a precious piece of jewelry, it's a precious family heirloom. And when you lose it, you My feel hair. awful. And then you find it again. <laughs> you find it again. I'm sorry, you're not finding that, Roger. You find it again. And it, it's better than originally having had it in the first place, finding it after you've lost it. This is the complete flip of this, times a thousand of losing something that you just had in your hands for a minute and it ends up not being real at all. It's also embarrassing. La La Land will always... This movie that won more awards than any other film, that's been the greatest experience for these filmmakers, these producers, it's been the biggest experience of their life, it will now always go down as the movie that won the best picture and had it taken away from it. It will always be tainted in that way. You and I think so differently on this. And I just want to take a second to go on the record. It will never cease to amaze me. Because <laughs> you're a fairly negative fellow about so many things. You're, 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 you're pessimistic to my optimism. You're a bit negative to my positivity. Yeah. Self-loathing self at 11. But the occasional things that you get very positive about, it never ceases to amaze me what they are. It's the most bizarre set of things that you get positive about. I think the biggest difference between us is that you win things. Yeah. And I don't. So yeah. you know what it means to win things. Yeah. Chelsea Football Club. Yeah. And as an Evertonian, I don't. So I dream of winning any kind of win, even yeah. a win that's pulled away from you. And I You'd do. be happy to win the FA Cup. And then they remember, oh, no, the score was actually 9-6 <sighs> the other you, way. I want to go on the record. And say that if Everton Football Club <laughs> can win the Premier League title for 72 seconds yeah. in my lifetime, yeah. I could die a happy man. Yeah. Interesting. <sighs> Interesting. Anyway, gosh. the Oscars yeah. was just the second biggest cock up of the, the last couple of days. Oh my God. The world's still recoiling in shock and fear after the Men in Blazers show failed to go live to air. Yeah. On the <laughs> in fact, there was dead air. Yeah. It was dead air. Yeah. We faded to black for an extended period of time. Yeah. You were trying to work out the technicalities of what was going on immediately. You just yeah. spring into life. You yeah. are suddenly just like, who's that guy who makes things? MacGyver. Yeah, you are just like, <laughs> I've never seen you like that. You are just like MacGyver. Yeah. You're like a television Swiss army knife, just yeah. pr probing and prodding. Yeah. I well, the just... show must go on. It's the number one rule of all entertainment the show must go on you keep on going whatever happens i've done a whole i haven't talked about it before on the show it's that andy we once did a whole episode of watch what happens live that went black for the entire show and we never told andy cohen until the end because he'd got he has to keep on going and doing the show or whatever because we're going to fix it for the west coast and we're going to go and feed it out there but the show must go on i just thought that you'd left the lens cap on <laughs> yeah, well by the way the mistake that was made was no less ridiculous than that well, I mean, my gut was, phew, America's just dodged a bullet yeah. being safe from our crap. Michael yeah. J. Collins Jr. tweeted in and said, that episode was shorter than Arsenal's title hopes. Yeah. That's Steve Bortman. Blank screen for two minutes. He called the best Men in Blazers show of all time. I, I did love, I was quite moved by how much you guys actually cared about our crap. At Jeffrey Moore said, the whole show reminded 
Hymn of the Sopranos ending. Mm. So Men in Blazers cuts to black. Now I'll never know if Rog and David got whacked <laughs> or if they're still enjoying some baked ziti. Uh. We're always enjoying baked ziti, David. What did happen? All I ever think in these situations is just tell me this wasn't our fault. Tell me this isn't on it our was end. crap cat's fault. Tell me it's on the NBC Sports Center. I just don't want this to be our fault. Unfortunately, every time this has ever happened, it's been our fault. And I, I, everybody looks at me saying, I'm thinking this is probably the issue is on the NBC end, it's not on our end. And every time somebody tells me that, that's how I instantly know that the fault is going to go and be our end. It was absolutely on our end. It wasn't anything wrong with the Embassy Row staff or the Embassy Row staff. <laughs> but apparently we get some email that will tell us when the, when, when, when the live bridge is open and confirming with the live bridge... One of our people failed to check that email or misread that email, and so the live bridge was not open when we went live. The it's live the most bridge. elemental. By the way, the, the whole in time through which we project the show. This is pretty wonderfully suboptimal, that the entire reason why the Men in Blazers show will get out or not get out is based on the fact on how one individual will correctly or not correctly read an email. Or bother, that's, bother that's, to read or it bother in the first Or just like, Don't oh, it went, to to, open it went to spam. So it's a, that's pretty terrifying. You can, you can either believe Dave yeah. or you can believe me when I tell you yeah. there was a fight. <laughs> Guinness was spilled. Yeah. The cleanup took longer than we thought it would because, well, to be candid, it took me a long time to lick the beer off the floor. Mm-hmm. And that's it. I couldn't have been more bummed. Mm. We'd worked, producer JWs and Lexis had worked on a tribute that we cut for Black History Month, yeah. which was probably one of our more optimal yeah. pieces of all time. They ran as part of the show later that night on yeah. our Twitter feed now about a personal hero of ours, Viv mm. Anderson, first black man to add the play for England, which yeah. didn't happen until 1978. Unbelievable. Yeah, See it. I mean, it's one of the best things I've been involved with, and I say that as someone who really hates our stuff. One note, yeah. a viewer at MYFC5743 sent us a screenshot of the television when NBC <laughs> Studio threw to us, and he showed that his close captioning, do you know what yeah. they call us, David? What? Ranch and Dabo, <laughs> over to you. Those ranch. On, on, yeah. ranch. 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 I love Dabo. that. I love that. I'm thinking that because ranch right. is just like a John Stein. It's my new name, David. Okay. Ranch. Can we it's go, my American alter ego. Can, hey, we ranch. Go, can we go as Ranch and Dabo to Halloween? <laughs> We've got to have Ranch and Dabo outfits. By the way, we need to do a Ranch and Dabo t-shirt. That was, that's a really good we idea. Are, we are Ranch and Dabo, our American alter Dabo. egos, we have, David. We have tans. We have hair. <sighs> We got futures. We got fast cars. Bad news. Yeah. Ranch and Dabo will be back this Monday. The screen will most probably go blank again at yeah. 5.30 p.m. Yeah. Eastern time for the yeah. Men and Blazers show. Live, with or without spilt Guinness. Ranch and Dabo. Ranch and Dabo. We have a pack show, Rog. We're going to genuflect to Lord Zlatan and recap oh. Manchester United. Some might say undeserved. EFL Cuppity Cup final victory over a tenacious Southampton side. We attend the shortest shiver ever held for beheaded Leicester City manager Claudio Ranieri. <laughs> oh my and we God. marvel. J Dubs. Yeah. Wow. I know. He doesn't like these JCC oh, no, bombings. I, I'm making this up in my head okay. as I go along. Sorry, it's, not like, sorry, it's not like producer J Dubs writes this and I cold read it. Every Come on, Dabo. Come on. What Come on, Dabo. Get with uh, it, man. And marvel at the Fox's 3 1 victory over Liverpool. And we do our contractually obligated roundup. And we do our contractually obligated roundup of the milk toast title chase. Chelsea win, Harry Kane hat trick, etc., etc., etc. Plus, only three sleeps until MLS opening day. To the football, Rog. Yeah. Crack open the Guinness. Can I just say my favourite moment of the week? Yeah. 
when Sutton United's FC's goalkeeper was injured in the 15th minute of the game. Yeah. And had to come off injured. Uh-huh. And because Wayne Shaw had been let go. Yeah. Sutton had no goalie on the bench. And their right back had to go and goal. Wow. Proof if we needed it. Yeah. There is a god. And she likes pies. <laughs> so let's raise a Guinness to the pie god, David. Yes. To the pie god. The pie gods. I think there are several gods of pies. The pie gods. They're like they're like they're like a squad. It's a very complicated theology, which is rooted in the 13th century longings of man. Yeah, very true. Very, very it's a theology. True. I can believe. Yeah, it. druids, druid-based, Roger. Okay, to the football. We're now between 25 and 26, 38 of the way through the Premier League season. That that will or will not reduce depending on which team you follow <laughs> in the Premier League. An aberration caused by the tinfoil sponsorless trophy, now known simply as the EFL Cuppity Cup Cup. Man United 3, Southampton 2. United claimed their first major-ish honour of the Mourinho era thanks almost entirely to one man, Zlatan. The power forward size striker scored twice, including an 87th minute header to repel a Southampton side led by scraggly yet smooth Italian (laughs) Manolo Gabbiadini, who also had a brace. What a fantastic game it was. I mean, we laugh. We laugh at the EFL Cup. Yeah, but this Etty was cup, cup. everything we love about the game, David. Mostly because Southampton were just so positive; they were almost fearless from the off, mm. charging at United's many guns, countering through Gabbiadini, found the back of the Gabbiadini. net early. That <laughs> poor Gabbiadini to Troy Dini. I think he's his Italian cousin, yeah. David. There must be second, yeah. third cousins, possibly. Goal was ruled out in a final in England, wrongly ruled off for offside. What did Jose Mourinho say about Manchester? We are the unluckiest team in the world. This was just awful. To poor Southampton, English football, I know you listen. Mm. I know you listen to this pod. Raise your standard of your referee into like the world's great leagues. At least aspire to be like the Saudi Arabian League, the Jamil. Poor Gabbiadini just clung onto the post wide-eyed at the decision. He looks like an extra at the best of times who's wandered off the set of Pineapple Express and stumbled onto the football pitch. Yeah, he's so indie pop. Yeah, he's got those Mackenzie Crook eyes. Yeah. And it was United who were left to open the scoring. Zlatan! Yeah. From the free kick. Yeah, amazing work. Although, a good free kick. I don't quite understand why England goalkeepers do this. It's sort of like Joe Hart at the Euros. Fraser Forster, and this is a long free kick. 35 yards out. Is is standing so much closer to one post than the other. And he does that because, you know, the wall is meant to block one side. But from 35 yards out, a player of Zlatan's ability can actually curl the ball over the wall and get it to that far side of the goal. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the wall, they had little Juan Mata, they had Smalling in there, United, to shield and then push, almost try and bulldoze players out of the way, masking the shot. So Fraser Forster didn't see it until it was too late. But we've got to say, Wayne Shaw would have saved that. Irrespective, Zlatan, 35 years of age. I love this stat. Goals before the age of 30, 232. Goals after the age of 30, 248. The older he gets, and this is for you at 51, Dave, the mm. better he gets, which is the opposite, yeah. of course, of me. I it mean, would arguably the best free transfer in the history of the Premier League. It's just amazing what this signing was. Oh, it would get worse for poor Southampton in the yeah. 38th minute. Man United go two up. Saints defence standing off. United just passed the ball around in training ground triangles. And it's Lingard capping off the goal with a kind of precision finish. EA FIFA players will recognise instantly as RB plus B slash D. Truly gutting moment for Southampton. I mean, they had shown such optimism, such yeah. courage. They'd done very little wrong. Found themselves 2-0 down. Yeah. Proof 
if we ever needed it, that football is a game of moments and that the theological notion of reward and punishment just doesn't exist at all. Yet yeah. what I admired is how much Southampton took the punch on the chin. And yeah, on the absolutely. stroke of halftime, they got their reward. Yeah, Gabbiadini latches onto the end of a Ward-Prowse cross. Flicking the ball through the exposed De Gea's legs with mm. the outside of his left foot. I, I thought that finish could only be described as Harry Kane-ish. Yeah. Just reward for the Italian, who's got the hallmark of great strikers, that he takes risks and he's willing to attack space. And the other side of half-time, yeah. who did it again? Oh, my word. And one of my favourite kind of new goals, Rog, corner scraps. We love corner scraps. Gabbiadini feeds on them. Um, and just excellent, 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 relentless, tireless striking. This was a little bit Diego Costa, this goal, actually. Yeah, I mean, it, it was, I said on the show, it was like watching a player in NBA Jam when he's on the, he's on fire mode, and yeah. just little flames flicker off every ball yeah. that he touches. He knew also United's defenders, Baye, not comfortable since his return, Rojo, yeah. Spanish for liability. And he just attacked again the heart of the United defence, swivelled to slap the ball past the motionless stun De Gea. Five goals in three games for him uh, since he moved to Southampton. And another real trophy for the scouting team at that club and their vaunted black box they use to process statistics. How long till his full name is Liverpool's Manolo Gabbiadini? We only will have to wait and see. And at that point, you thought it was Southampton who were destined for glory. Yeah. For large stretches, United with David Moyes bad, Louis van Gaal bad, yeah. Pogba, AWOL, his visibility at Jared Kushner levels, Martial lolloping <laughs> suddenly. United just seemed like a Yankees team, 2013 Yankees, big names, Jeter, Sabathia, Mariano Rivera, A-Rod, Teixeira, yeah. Soriano, Eucalyst, but the sum just less than the parts. They missed the playoffs and you feel like this United team is somewhat the same. Mm -hmm. But it was Southampton's joy and positivity that came back to haunt them. There's a thin line mm -hmm. between courage and naivete. I think a more experienced team would have realised they were tiring and just shut the game down for that last 15. A cagey manager would have adjusted, tried to get rid of the adrenaline that was filling his team's legs and just try and say, all right, we're going to take this to extra time. Instead, they allowed a remarkable human being to dominate in the clutch in a massive moment, in a massive game, 87th minute. Yeah, Zlatan. This was an Ander Herrera cross. Uh, Zlatan, just another one of his thumping-headed finishes. Great ball, thumping finish. I mean, look, and this feels like this is what Mourinho is confident about. He knows he's got the best player on the pitch. He knows he's got a talisman. This is what he had in Drogba at Chelsea. He knew he had the best player on the pitch. And now he's got Zlatan at Man U. And this is what Mourinho does really well. He sucks you in. You know, he makes the game very narrow. It's partly because he doesn't have a lot of width on this side. Man United have, have got to go and, like, figure this out, I think, if they're going to push on. But it just, he knows he's got the best player. He lets Southampton come at him. They, they tire, they tire. And just how many times have you seen a Mourinho side do this? His final winning record is absolutely staggering. Uh, something like... 11 games won in 13 finals. I mean, which amazing. Is a remarkable statistic. Absolutely statistics. amazing. He's a winner of finals. I know. He, he is a he winner knows of how finals. to go and get it. And it helps when you've got the best player on the pitch. Yeah, I mean, what a human achievement Zlatan's season has been. Yeah. Said on the show, he's overrated in the same way Meryl Streep is overrated. 26 goals yeah. in 28 games. Mm. Each one a slap on the arse for English critics who always suggested that he is what English people call a flat-track bully. How would yeah. you describe that? He can do it against bad teams. He can't do it against the best in the world. He but. can score against crap teams. He yeah. can score in garbage time, but he disappears in the clutch. No, 
And many have begun to compare his impact to the arrival of French maverick Eric Cantona. I did that at the beginning of the season, but the problem was Cantona was so much younger. He is much 26. older than Cantona. Yeah, it's I mean, amazing. there's nine-year difference. It was Cantona, if you didn't watch him, he just provocatively transformed United into that serial winner we watched yeah. in the early 90s. We're going to have to wait until this United become serial winners before we proclaim that. To me, I mean, United is still six in the league. Seems a bit premature. Zlatan season reminds me of Jurgen Klinsmann's, David. He arrived at Tottenham in 1994-95. He was despised by the English media. One Guardian journalist, I remember, wrote an essay called Why I Hate Klinsmann the day that he arrived. And then Klinsmann lashed 29 goals and became player of the year. And that same writer penned a piece immediately called Why I Love Klinsmann. And he won everybody in the media, everyone in England over that arc, the journey from heel to hero for Zlatan is what we saw cemented on Sunday. My heart, though, broke for Southampton fans absolutely gutting this meant a lot to them that journey up by train from Southampton uh, oh. to London um, must have been tough for them going home I mean, but they, look the they, reality of football is the team who wins is the team who puts the ball in the net more than their opponents so, and for all that pressure all that ability this Southampton are a remarkable football they club are. They, 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 are. they are the Hydra you cut off their head they lose their best players they replace them with other great players they have amazing scouting amazing training amazing youth system what a football club Southampton are, Rob. An amazing thing. You've nailed it. So much young talent has come through that club. Most of it pillaged by Liverpool, Arsenal, United. Yet they constantly rebuild, they regenerate, and they keep playing optimistic football. But the game, a reminder, is if we needed one, football is a cruel, <laughs> cruel game. One in which evil always wins. And United played poorly, but they won. Which is ultimately what a final is all about, Dave. And yeah. the winning will be all that will be remembered. I don't think that it's fair to say, yeah, for a vast amount of that final, they played poorly. But the finishing, which is so important in football, was fantastic every single time. And that, that's why Man United win. And that's why Mourinho is a great manager, is he, he figures a way to get the players on the pitch who are going to go and finish more than their opponents. And that was, that's the achievement. I actually think this was a very good result for Man United. And I think, yes, they're still in sixth, but they're very, very close up there. And you look at where they are, they've got a game in hand, against a couple of the teams ahead of them. I think that Man United can press on from this and finish second in the Premier League. I really think they can. I think, it's a very, I think they're playing very good football. And I think, yes, Pogba had disappeared in this game, but I think at times this season, Pogba and Zlatan have been amazing with each other. Uh, and I think there's a lot to look forward to in the future of this side. Yeah, I mean, what's fascinating, the League Cup is not important. Hence, Mourinho's deeply affected, slumping during the trophy presentation. Yeah, it, yeah, I don't know how genuine that was. What is important is that he's going to use this to try and restore that cultural winning that LVG never did. He won the FA Cup, but context, my favourite Manchester United manager of all time was fired two days later and everyone saw it coming by then. This is Mourinho's game plan with the League Cup. I mean, it was the first trophy that he won at Chelsea, yeah. the 2004-2005, beat Liverpool 3-2, Stevie G own goal. And he taught later that that was important. It established that winning muscle. Absolutely. And some would say watching United win it this year is an ominous sign. It's a look. He's won it four times. He um, it was absolutely right before Chelsea had you know won anything um, in the sort of two thousands in the Roman Abramovich era. Uh, they won the League Cup. Um, and they went on to win the league by twelve points. Yeah. Year. And look, I think that actually, as much as we mock the cup of the cup, 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 cup. In some ways, it's more important to a team's season 
than the FA Cup. And that give, it's kind of gone above it. I'd give up a testicle for Everton to win it. <laughs> I don't, I'm, I'd be quite candid. Partly because of the time in the season that it happens. Do you want like, one of my testicles? Not that much. <laughs> well, I was thinking what I could do with it. I just can tell by your face you're not yeah. interested. I was seeing a mallet. It would be quite a fun. It would be, fun, it would be quite a fun <laughs> evening. So the oh, will it will it be out and we'll all still be on you? So the um, lawyers it, will negotiate. Yeah, no, but the, the point at which the Cupity Cup Cup happens in the season, I think winning it can really propel you for the season. I think similarly losing it can be a bit of a gut punch. United fans and lovers of Ewok International footballers, we got a Juan Mata pod special this week. Oh, we that's t- amazing. T- it is amazing because he's amazing. We taped it last Friday. He's a beautiful man. I asked him what he believes his unique differentiation that he brings to the, that fierce competition for a midfield place in the United side. He didn't have to hesitate. He just said, I bring joy. Oh, I love that man. Even more after chatting to him, and I bet you will too. The pod drops on Thursday, and I can't wait, dear GFOPs, to hear what you think of it. Okay, now to lesser football, Premier League football. Yeah, let's sully ourselves. Chelsea 3, Swansea 1. The league leaders repel newly optimistic Swansea City from the Bridge of Stamford. Bullies. Cesc Fabregas repaid Antonio Conte's decision to start him for only the sixth time this season with a goal and an assist. And my Valentine, Roger Pedro and Diego Costa added the second and third to send Chelsea 10 points clear at the top. Big takeaway from this game. Yeah. Just how dominant and ruthless Antonio Conte's Chelsea are. Mm. Because this match, it seemed to be in the balance for about 15 minutes. And then Chelsea just ripped Swansea's hearts out and turned it into a routine win. Yeah. I was never worried. Chelsea, you know, when you, I was going to ask you, no, was when there you a go, moment? Less when you go and watch would have wobbled. at Stamford Bridge, the way this team play football, they are, in order to pin them back, Swansea are having to cover so much space. They're having to play so much time without the ball. They're having to run all over the park. Chelsea have so much width. N'Golo Kante... Uh, I mean, my word, that guy is constantly, he's at you, he's at you, he's at you, he's at you, it's at you. He grinds you down, he wears you down. And what he's doing in the first 20, 30 minutes of the game, that comes back to haunt you later. You just have to work so hard against this team and you know that they've got enough players of quality who are going to go... And, uh, and, and go and like, create chances and probably ruthless enough to go and take them. Uh, I was never worried. Can I just say one thing about N'Golo Kante, who was so smothering, so dominant. There's a great clip of him on social media that we looked at where he, in 24 seconds, just makes four interceptions. Oh, my word. All it's amazing. over the field. Four. It felt like more than four. It was amazing. Tackles, interceptions, all kinds of things. I think three of them were of his own teammates, so they didn't <laughs> exactly. count. Exactly. But you, they let him do that. Could you make a case for him to be footballer of the year, or am I bonkers? Oh, you absolutely could. You know, it's hard to see. Unfortunately, there are a few other players who you might say, you know, were pretty crucial. Statistically, you look at Eden Hazard, you look at Diego Costa, it's hard not to make a case for them if Chelsea win the season on how valuable they've been. But in Golo Kante, if there's one guy who's enabled Antonio Conte's team to play the kind of football that they have. It's what N'Golo Kante does in the middle of the park. In the middle of the park in this game, he was joined by, surprise, surprise, Sesk. Yeah, for just his sixth league start of the season, in the side to unlock Swansea's suddenly organised midfield, an inspired choice, stole the ball off Diego Costa's foot to mark his 300th Premier League appearance with a classic Sesk goal. Amazing, Dave, seven starts in all competitions. 
six goals for Sesk and six assists, which is pretty incredible. Yeah. He'd be like the six man. No, he is. He'd get the six man award in the NBA. Yeah, he would get the six man award. But on the cusp of halftime, three man defense went avant garde with no man marking Urente. Big Pamplona, ninth in 23 games. You've already answered my question. At that moment, I thought, is this possibly not going to be Chelsea's day? Yeah. But the reality is, this Chelsea team do not have not our day days, do they? Yeah, they don't. I mean, look, the goal was fantastic. What a ball, by the way, from Gilfie. Fantastic ball. Um, and a great finish from Llorente. Uh But no, they, they, they had a lot and they came back very quickly. Yes, there was some controversy around the goal. A very big penalty shout. Uh, in the box against Dave, I felt the ball was too close to him. Others disagree. Felt his arm was in an unnatural position. But uh, Chelsea goes straight down the other end, and they really, you know, uh, they pedroed. Yeah, they yeah, pedroed. They, they pedroed. I mean, it wasn't even, it wasn't even a particularly good shot. I mean, speculative would probably Wet be ball. Uh, yeah, Wet ball. Speculative would be would would would, would be. Uh, you know, unduly complimenting that strike. But uh, against Lucas Fabianski, yeah. you don't actually have to have accurate shooting. Yeah. I have never seen a more perpetually doomed footballer. He is yeah. so self-aware of mm. how doomed he is. You can take the boy out of Arsenal. Yeah. But oh, it's hard to credit that they keep playing him when Wayne Shaw's available, Swansea. <laughs> Game then just flickered into a routine win. Yeah. Diego Costa, Hulk smash. Amazing yeah. statistic. 54% of his games in which he's played he scored in, which is just astonishing. 42 goals mm. in 78 Premier League games. As I said on the show, more lethal than VX Nerve Agent and North Korean Secret Service. I know you listen to the pod, so take note of that. Mm. I just love that walking a Daydash billboard. Antonio Conte pumping the air. You've got a theory about him now at this point. Well, he does spend more time facing back towards the crowd than he does watching the actual football just on the grinding pitch. grinding up against yeah, the Stamford no, Bridge amazing. He's playing... It's like a... He's uh, a party it, motivator. He's no, not really a football manager at this point. No, it's theatre in the round. He's playing to the audience behind. Very difficult to play to the audience behind you. So funny you say that, because yeah. when Viola Davis, wonderful woman, but in her Oscar speech, she said actors are, quote, the only profession that celebrates what it means to live a life. I realise she's clearly never met Antonio Conte. Yeah. I mean, you were saying yesterday when we were chatting, you'd love to know how Antonio Conte acts at normal events. Yeah. Like kindergarten graduations, yeah. funerals. Yeah. I think you like ritual circumcisions. He's yeah. just were pumping the crowd up. Oh, he definitely goes insane in church. This is a guy who like, oh, he feels it deeply. He feels the passion. Oh, I love speaking in tongues. Yeah. Those happy pills Paul Clement's been feeding the Swansea players, they didn't work on this occasion. Their defence is now organised. Their midfield is incredibly thorough. Burnley, Hull, Bournemouth now await winnable games all. Clashes in which their fate may well be decided. But your Chelsea, 10 points clear? Yeah, Chelsea, 10 points clear. It's not really 10 points clear uh, because Man City have a game in hand against them. And game very, to lose. Games to lose. Easily. Yeah, City with a win can make it just eight points. The slightly alarming thing for the chasing pack is how many times they, they all play against each other. They've still got to play against each other a lot of times, and you feel like they might just beat each other up and uh, hand Chelsea the title, even if Chelsea do lose a few games uh, coming in. Okay, Rog, oh, this was <sighs> narrative. Leicester City 3, Liverpool 1. Four days after axing the man who led them to the Premier League promised land against all odds. Leicester turning one of their performances of the season. How could you? Two goals from Vardy and one from Drinky. That goal, Rog, earned caretaker manager Craig Shakespeare's Foxes a desperately needed win. They are now two points clear of the drop. Despite the win, 
coffee clatchers across the Midlands are still talking about Claudio Ranieri. Life comes at you fast, Claudio. 298 days since winning the Premier League. Do you remember that? Odds oh. of 5,000 to 1 story. Is that vaguely it's reminiscent insane. of something for you? Do you remember? I think they're 4,000 to 1 now. I mean, Wes Morgan hasn't even had time to get over his hangover. That's how recent that the, the winning was. And Leicester City sack dear, dear Uncle Claudio when his team, who hadn't scored a Premier League goal in 2017, mm. were hovering just one point outside the relegation zone. February 7th, the Leicester board gave him, quote, unwavering support. February 23rd, they say change of leadership, while admittedly painful, is necessary. Proof if we needed it, David, that there's no nostalgia in football, unless you're the Arsenal board <laughs> looking at Arsene Wenger. In many ways, I didn't want to see these Leicester players like sort of bounce back immediately, get that new manager bounce and beat Liverpool. Yeah, I wanted, I wanted to see them suffer. You I wanted, wanted them, a reckoning. Yeah, I wanted them to realise that they'd made a mistake, that this was wrong, that it's not, a, not the right way to treat the thinker man. I don't, uh, I don't like it. But of course, you know, we live in the era of player power and player power is real in every sense. Not only their ability to force him out, but their ability to sort of like believe, collectively believe, to actually play that well. This doesn't make Claudio look bad. In fact, this just makes the players look even worse that they were capable of this kind of performance uh, the whole time. I feel, you know, it's football. You just look at what's happened to all these clubs. Hull get rid of their manager. They're bouncing back. They've got a new manager bounce. Swansea, new manager bounce. Um, On the foundation created by the old manager. Yeah, but it's a, you know, a lot of teams do this. And this is the, where the Premier League is. The cost of relegation is so high. If you're hovering around those places, these teams, these owners, they, they don't feel that they can do it. I think the fans have a difficult relationship with this. Um, I think Leicester fans, you speak to them, they're, they're, much as they will have enjoyed beating Liverpool, I still think they don't feel great about this. You know, I, I'm actually shocked by the emotional reaction from the English media. We talked about this as a sickening moment in which English football died. I mean, yeah. It all felt a bit histrionic. You know, Premier League football owners, they do, they wake up every morning and ask themselves, should we keep our manager or should yeah. we fire him? Should we? Get I mean, that is just the nature of the business and Matt Gibbons 89 tweeted us and put it best and he said Leicester City 2015-16 true detective season one 2016-17 true detective season two and you always say Davo we're not in the locker room we've got no idea what's really going on with a club yeah and I think the silence from the players after the firing that locker room took 24 hours before Casper Schmeichel I think he was the first at Instagram probably a disingenuous message, 48 hours for a second guy, Mores, to say thanks on Twitter. Um, our external emotional connection to the fairy tale magic of nine months ago, it's completely disconnected, jarringly disconnected to that reality on the ground. Mm -hmm. And we try and apply a logic to a reality that we really don't know anything of. You hear that the players held a player-only meeting with the owners. Those are pretty damning. You know, their relationship to Ranieri, their own sense of accountability... But in football, owners can never fire players. It's always the manager whose head rolls. And I think a bit, a bit like this, Leicester City, mm. they're just like the first tech bubble bursting. Leicester City are essentially pets.com, David. Yeah. And you remember stories from that tech bubble. Razorfish, that first big internet agency that went boom to bust. Vanity Fair wrote that great piece about how the CEO was rumoured to drive into staff meetings on the back of a Harley Davidson. Get off it and then do a couple of lines of cocaine from the seat while addressing his startled staff. Not too much of a stretch to imagine Jamie Vardy coming into training in a similar style, right? 
And you think about that, that's what doom Ranieri, David. I mean, that, the off-season, when every agent of every Leicester player went in there and said, dramatic wage rise, please. And you had these stars who were journeymen. Suddenly, they've all got boot money. And when that happens, it's always going to go to crap, David. I mean, it yeah. must, must be like the Beverly Hillbillies. I mean, the words dilly-ding, dilly-dong. When these players were just journeymen doing their job, that was like magic words. But the second the players are able to afford to fly private, to fly business, to fly their own plane, they just sound like silly old Italian man saying baby English. And they're just yeah. like, yeah. And that's how you lose 14 of your 25 games as champions. Yeah. Now think how nearly Vardy went to Arsenal. Think how nearly, I think Drinky was looking at a, at a major transfer. Maris. I mean, it's like, it's amazing how far they've fallen in that time, Rod. Really, really amazing. Good news, though. There's now a miracle worker for hire, David. We yeah. all need miracles with the world, the state it's in. Mm. They'll soon get another job. One last stat on this. We now live in an era in which four of the last five Premier League winning managers have lost their job before the end of the following season. Does that mean Antonio Conte is going to be looking for one in about 12 months' time? You never know. No, it it is sort of remarkable what's going on. I was around Steve Parrish in London, spending some time with him, around the time that he was struggling with the whole decision over Alan Pardew, who he was very fond of. They'd become very good personal friends. And... It was an incredibly, incredibly difficult time for him um, to go and, and deal with that. So I, it's not that I don't feel for the chairman and don't feel that people care. And I also understand the business. I understand what it means. But it is a reality of football these days. At Transcript, Adam said, the ultimate Roger Bennett feeling. Thinking of how Ranieri's sacking shows that even the greatest possible triumph can't prevent eventual heartache. I actually prefer to cling on to the positive side of this. Really? Anyway, yeah, transcript, Adam. Don't, yeah. don't do me down. I just say the moment in which Claudio stood by Andrea Bocelli as he sang Nessam Dora on the field at the King Power, it's going to stay with us forever. Uh-huh. A bit like winning the Academy Award for Mark Platt for... 72 70, seconds. 72 seconds. You know, I don't know. I've never had a bit of 72 seconds in my life. Game itself, though, David. Yeah. God, we came to bury Leicester and we mm. ended up praising them. I mean, by kickoff, Leicester were in the relegation zone. Mm. But they suddenly just awoke Glenn Closey style. And, you know, they reminded me a bit of a team that won the title. <laughs> Drinky, charging forward, busting a gut. Fuchs heaving the ball into the area with a throw in, no matter where it was from. And Vardy, you knew he was back onto world-class form the second you saw him tell the referee to f*** off to his face. Mm. That was the telltale sign that old Leicester were back. Tempo, movement, incredibly direct. And in the 28th minute, Vardy, one-on-one, a man who'd only found the back of the net once in his last 18 games. And you just knew he was so clinical again. He was never going to miss once all Brighton had sprung him free, mm. charged forward towards a terror-filled Mignolet, finished with a dagger-wielding menace that he conjured on call last season. Leicester, though, were just getting started. Yeah, Leicester getting started. The second goal, Rods, breaks to Drinky on the outside of the box. I mean, it was a, uh, it was a Jordan Henderson-style finish. It really reminded me. I thought for a minute, have I transposed somehow <sighs> red and blue in my head? It was a CJ McCullum-like uh, finish. Yeah, Drinkwater. What a finish. They go 2-0 up. Yeah, and with newcomer Wilford and Didi, just dominating the middle of the field single-handedly. It just became a bullion. The electric light seemed to crackle all the more. The groundsman's kaleidoscopic grass stood more sharply and erect. And Liverpool defence just completely and utterly wilted. Where has 
this Leicester City been, Dave? I mean, we often joke about spite tracking. Yeah. We coined that last season watching Chelsea smash Sunderland 3-1 in the first game after Mourinho yeah. had been defenestrated. Yeah, and Pedro and Hazard actually tracked back. Exactly. Spite tracking for the first time all, all season. Yeah, to spite the manager that's just gone. And mm-hmm. you, you have to ask yourself, where was this fight and hustle for Ranieri? After the game, Vardy was asked what he thought in the post-match interview. They asked him, what do you think was different about this game? Leading question. And without blinking, Jamie Vardy just looked at the camera and said... I honestly couldn't put my finger on it. <laughs> <laughs> the, only, the only logical, rational explanation for the whole performance was that Leicester City had just crawled through a hole in time somehow. Because this football, this performance, I mean, the king power, suddenly, instead of just being a dark place, a viper's nest... Or the of, player power, as Henry Winter <laughs> uh, has called it. For the player power or the king power, it just became a place of tribute and memory rather than anger and frustration. The fans started to cheer a tribute to Ranieri, a tribute that came out of gratitude and a sense of wonder that's not burned away despite one punch-drunk performance after another this season. How do you think Claudio Ranieri must have felt watching his players show all that effort, all that desire, as he watched, maybe with his beloved mother in Rome? Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, ultimately you feel... I mean, maybe we project too many feelings onto uh, Claudio Ranieri, but I'd like to think that he's happy for the boys, that he he, he enjoyed watching them play well, that he loves the club, that he loves the fans, that he wanted them to go and win in that way, but it must have been a little weird. Yeah, I mean, touch of betrayal, touch of frustration, touch of bitterness perhaps, but I'd like to picture him raising a great glass of Nebbiolo, toasting his own achievement, Dave, miraculous achievement, which can never ever be taken away from him. Great win, though, for temporary manager Craig Shakespeare, former Nigel Pearson assistant, who's long waited for his chance, even though Roy Hodgson is now rumoured to be in the frame. Please make that true, David. That'd be great for us. Leicester, two points off the relegation zone. They host Hull this weekend, a genuine six-pointer. Liverpool, though, what? I know what has happened to this team. Teams have learned how to play Leicester City. Liverpool, you know, didn't look to have learned uh, at all. It's so odd. And yes, they had that enormous fixture congestion, you know, over the Christmas period. You've got to think that maybe this just completely just exhausted them. But they've but just they, had they two folded. weeks rest, David, yeah. and preparation for this game. And after three defeats in their last five Premier League games, the Liverpool faithful, now fretful, I'd say rightly fretful, and they were so intoxicated by the sight of some of the most swashbuckling football we've seen this season. That seems like it was years ago. 2017, they've been dumped out of both Cups, won just two in 12 games. The club dangerously listing in fifth place, point behind Arsenal, who they play this weekend. Mm. And Jurgen Klopp, who once seemed like a footballing deity, suddenly starting to look like he may have clay feet, David, which I don't think he does. But it is further proof of Freud's theory that God's an illusion based on the infantile need for a powerful father figure. Father! Amazing stat, though. Liverpool's five Premier League defeats, four have come against relegation zone teams. Yeah. It's only Liverpool's form against top eight that's keeping them out of relegation. (laughs) Yeah, that's very, very true. Perhaps a more legitimate title contender, Rod Tottenham, for Stoke City, nil. A holy trinity of Harry Kane goals effectively ended this one less than 40 minutes in. Delhi added a fourth to move Tottenham ahead of an idle Manchester City side into second place. More impressive than all of this, they overcame the curse of Rod Rod. 
Yeah, they did. Boy, did they ever need to. After being dumped out of the Europa League to Belgian Huffer and Puffers Ghent, they really needed this. But they dominated from the off, rolling the ball around the edge of the Stoke area like a hockey team on a power play they weren't quite sure how to convert until Harry Kane stepped up, took charge, lashed it through Ryan Shawcross's legs. Tenth goal in 11 games, hundredth of his young career. It's amazing. He's just 23, Davo. Yeah. What a player he is, though. He's a fantastic player. Remember, that he's been doubted so many times. Like, there have been moments of, oh, Harry Kane. It feels like every season, there are at least five or six times within the season, you're like, well, it's Harry Kane seems to have stopped doing the whole thing. And he just comes back again and again. What a competitor. Roy of the Rovers stuff from Harry Kane, Rush. Three hat-tricks in nine games. Joint mm. Premier League top scorer. That after being injured and missing five games with an ankle injury in September. Got a hat-trick in this one, but I, I love the assist on the Delhi goal. Trump the lot of them. He flicked the ball around Martin's Indy like an English Zinedine Zidane. Absolutely exquisite to watch. It's important to note Spurs are not a one-man team. Son, also important. He's in there for the handshakes. And Stoke, <laughs> they just played this game like a mid-level street thug who knew they were dealing with stronger forces and were way out of their depth. They just simply rolled over and accepted their punishment, outclassed and outmuscled, truly beta in every way. What do Spurs have to do, David, to take that next level Spurs, I think one thing is is they need to finish a season really strongly under Pochettino. They haven't really done that yet. Uh, you know, their conditioning is apparently so tough, they, their fitness routines, that we've got to see them really go through till the end of the season. I mean, right now they're playing, you know, they're still legitimately contending for the title. They're in second place, but they're, they're trying to stave off yet another St. Totteringham's Day. That's another big thing. Perpetually. Yeah, so it's not. It's beating Arsenal, it's making top four, making progress in Europe. This happened on a weekend after which they, as you mentioned, they had a, you know, exited from the Europa League. Um, they've got to do better in Europe. And they've got a really good squad. They've got really, really good players. But just the sense of can they do it for a full season? It is so hard, just as we were seeing with Liverpool. It is so hard to do it for a full season. On the whole, the team that wins the title, the teams that go the furthest in Premier League and Champions League. They just keep on going. They keep on going. They keep on going. And they show some consistency. The movie I made with NBC that they played last Sunday and is now available on the web and on Tottenham's website, actually, for English ah, listeners. It looked at the club's transformation, the past, present, the future, and the potch. And I think the new stadium, David, that is the thing that is going to, please God, change everything for this team. Ah. Looking at a 2018 launch... It's going to change the economics of the club. Yeah. And it was interesting. Pochettino talked in the film and on Sunday that his team need those changed economics to take that next step and really fulfill their potential. The other end of the uh, economic spectrum, Crystal Palace 1, Middlesbrough nil. Big Sam claims just his second win since taking over at Selhurst Park in December. Patrick van Arnholt's 34th-minute goal was good enough to banish a Borough side that's only scored 19 times this season. These two teams are now level on 22 points with Borough keeping Palace in the relegation zone on goal oh, difference alone. The Robbie Musto, Rebecca Lodarby. Yeah. Ends in a big win for Big Sam. Yeah. I did love how he tried to manage expectations before the game in his manager notes in the match programme. Mm-hmm. He wrote, I would hope to see an uplift in our performance to get a result, but not necessarily a win. <laughs> <laughs> he loves his points almost yeah, as much does. as his pints. Yeah. Of white wine. his pies. Yeah. He, I mean, he also wrote this, which is just amazing. Single points. He said, pies yeah, we're going to do one point at a time, wine. lads. Single points. Yeah. What's a points, mate? They make pints. Points yeah. make pints. <laughs> yeah. Have white wine. Run a pie. <laughs> he 
gives, he also wrote this. He wrote, this is real, Devo. He wrote, the increase in performance doesn't have to be that big. Yeah. If you put an increase of 2% on every player, yeah. that's a 22% increase in how you play. Yeah. If only football and math and life were like that. God yeah. love you, Big Sam. Yeah, that's, that's Betsy DeVos level <laughs> writing, Rog. <laughs> I did love also the news post-match. Palace fans were so pent up. They tried to attack the Middlesbrough team bus and they spray-painted the creative message Crystal Palace FC and scrolled down one side only to discover to their horror that they just vandalised Crystal Palace's team bus <laughs> at a cost of the club of $50,000 aka a whole month's pie bill for Big Sam. Self-inflicted wound that kind of captures the story of Palace's season. Yeah, and says so much about football. Uh, Watford won, West Ham won, some edible mid-table fare in which the highlights were a third-minute Troidini penalty and a second-half Andrew <laughs> A.U. putback. The Hammers up to ninth, Watford, Rog, in 12th. West Brom 2, Bournemouth 1, sports most opulent farewell tour got underway Saturday at the Hawthorns with Mark Clattenburg refing one of his final Premier League games before departing for Saudi Arabia's Jamil League. N- no one has ever said the Jamil League more times than Enough. us over the last week. Clat's support act, just the football, saw the baggies continue their European press. They're in eighth place and have officially hit Tony Poulos' <laughs> favourite number of points, 40. Oh, he won't be pleased, yeah. Poulos, hitting the 40-point target by February. <laughs> Normally prefers the agonising theatre of a proper relegation battle. But this was all about, who are we kidding? It was all about Klatt and the farewell tour. <laughs> played all of his greatest hits. Oh, he did. Fire and rain, I cried. I'm not yeah. ashamed to admit it. He played yeah. You Got a Friend, beautiful. Yeah. Personally, I was shocked. And I know you players from the Premier League listen to this show. Give him a guard of honour. What's a man got to do? <laughs> For God's sake. JW said it all felt eerily like the Derek Jeter farewell yeah. tour. And he's shocked and surprised that none of the clubs are giving him like presentations of gifts at every stadium that he goes to. <laughs> yeah, no one. Yeah, everybody's surprised about that. Here's a banjo and yeah. half a curly-whirly that we found in the stadium. Yeah, yeah. there's vintage Clattenburg stuff that he does for the people, playing the ball in <laughs> midfield, walking away from his assistants because he's up here and they're down here. It's a, a classic Clattenburg stuff. Oh, Mark, we won't miss you. Hull City won, Burnley won. Marco Silva sees his triage effort take a hit as the Tigers concede in the 76th minute to stay mired in the relegation bog. For Burnley, it's just their second point away from Turf Moor this season, Rog. And finally, let me put on my patronising voice, Everton 2, Sunderland 0. The Goodison faithful welcome David Moyes and his bulging eyes back to Liverpool (laughs) and then immediately (laughs) kick him back out. Goals from Adrissa Gay and Romelu Lukaku in this one. Rogelio. Few managers know the feeling of watching their team lose at Goodison Park in abject fashion better than David Moyes and I did I, it was fascinating watching him return with a different team I felt nothing David mm. it's like encountering that ex that everyone around you knew was bad for you but didn't have the heart or the courage to tell you and then when you break up with them everyone tells you so you summon no feelings when you do see them again well I've got to say I did crush hard on Brian Oviedo who I do love you do like him he's CONCACAF wonder Sunderland back from their New York trip where they'd rode bikes around Central Park to bond and they've gone to a Red Hot Chili Peppers gig of all the bands. Doesn't surprise me that Moyes is a big Chili Peppers fan. He's full on under the bridge. Everton, dominant in the first half. Schneidlin, I love you. Propelling the team forward. Oh, his partnership with Idrissa Gay. They play with such joy. Collective fears. Tom Davis, I adore you. That pass. Seamus Coleman crossing. Gay, smash. Sunderland fought back. Defoe did hit the bar. 
And then 120 seconds later, Everton raced up the field. Lukaku, like Earl Campbell, rumbling up half the pitch to grab his 60th goal for our beloved club, tying Duncan Ferguson's all-time Premier League record for Everton. He's still 23. Never leave me, Romilly. Yeah, Everton, seventh place, Rog, just four points behind Man United, who are in uh, sixth. Still Man United believe. have a game still in hand, but Everton is still, still still in the fight for the Champions League places, Rog, yeah. or the title, or whatever the you're going real. for. Yeah, whatever you're looking for. It depends how, if you want one of my testicles or not. <laughs> well, I've had a lot of ideas of what to do with it. <laughs> Togger update, Rog, a diluted player pool to pick from this week, thanks to the EFL Company Cup Cup, but that didn't stop... SF six six five nine three seven dash OFBX. Is that a real person or is that a Ukrainian spammer? Oh, let's hope it's the latter. From amassing two hundred and thirty-one points, he now has the most complicated name in the league and a special MIB togger patch. His lineup was exclusively Spurs and Everton players, bar Eden Hazard and his very large bottom. Okay, Rog, <laughs> now in MLS. That eagle screech sounding slightly more menacing this week, Rog. That's because we're just days away from the start of the 22nd MLS season. Kicks off Friday with Portland hosting new boys, Minnesota United <sighs> FC. I can't wait, David. I think this is going to be the best quality of football MLS has ever had. Yeah. Flood of talented young designated players like Dallas forward Christian Coleman, Sporting KC's Gerso Fernandez. Clubs no longer thirsty for the Gerrards, the Lampards. They want the impact to be on the field and not mm. off it. Mm. Two new teams, both uncreatively named Atlanta United FC. Nearly 30,000 season ticket sales alone. Minnesota United. When's FC. It, when's an MLS team going to go balls out and just call itself a proper name like Sheffield Wednesday, David? Or Albion. Two other teams I'm looking forward to watching. LA Galaxy. Post-Bruce Arena under Kurt and Alfo. No Robbie Keane to prod the ball home and NYCFC loaded up with talent in a way that makes me believe they may have had one of the quickest learning curves in terms of the intricacies of MLS roster building I did have a dream last night David. Yeah, you can tell me what this means yeah MLS finally lived up to Don Garber's dream of becoming a top five league in the world mm. and the day before Donald Trump started the nuclear war <laughs> I have uh, very literal dreams. What do you think that one means? I don't know what that means, Rog, but it seems to combine your occasional optimism and your enduring pessimism in just, in just you know, one dream state. For more on that dream, listen to our other podcast, Death Cult Wishes, today. In other US soccer news, also time for the world's worst named football tournament, the She Believes Cup. Ah, oh, the She Believes Cup. To kick off March 1st, US, Germany, France and England will play three double headers. Oh. In three cities, starting oh, the Wednesday lionesses. in Chester, Pennsylvania. I'm going to go to watch US England on Saturday wow. at Red Bull with my beautiful daughter. I'm sure I'll see a ton, I hope I'll see a ton of you there. We're going to preview the tournament kind of after it started. We're going to preview it in the middle of the tournament. We're going to preview it yeah. with special guest, Arsenal England's Alex Scott. Huh. Later this week, we'll get some scoop on how Hayo's doing with Arsenal women. Oh, brilliant. Can't wait for that. Okay, the winner of the coveted Guinness Men and Blazers poet, philosopher, soccer scribe, Raven of the Week, is from Matt Lawyu here in New York. Dear Rod and Davo, this is a letter about love, football and food. For the past two years, I've been shuttling back and forth from the States to London to see my North London gal, 
the love of my life. We fly to each other every couple of months or so and have introduced each other to our British and American ways. She showed me the luxurious fields of Hampstead Heath. I showed her the crap pigeons in Central Park. She introduced me to Spurs. I responded in kind by making her a Knicks fan. We either suffer together or we don't freaking suffer at all. That is love, no? I wouldn't know. Another thing she's introduced us to is Channel 4's Come Dine With Me. I love this show. Each episode focuses on five strangers from the same UK town who each have to throw a dinner party and cook a three-course meal for each other. This week, from Hull. At the end of the night, hosts are judged by the guests who rate the meal evening between zero and ten. High score wins £1,000. But the money's besides the point. The real intrigue is watching complete strangers with different tastes and personalities. (laughs) Watching them have to socialise and eat each other's food. Some, as you'd imagine, end horribly with undercooked chicken or the farting dinner guest. It got me thinking, if you can invite a bunch of Premier League players or managers, force them to cook for each other, socialise with each other, who would you choose? Davo, <laughs> can you just produce this show, please? <laughs> God, I would love yeah. your thoughts on this incredibly important query. <sighs> who would you... It's an interesting format, Rog, because every night... For the week, they each have to they each have to host the party at their place each different night. So each one of them has to cook the meal, and the others are like, "Well, I thought the chicken was going to be a little better than that." It's like it's a really gloriously cheesy and yet conflict filled format. Who's your four or five people together, and you're yeah. definitely going to get have a ten of a night, David. Well, well, that's what that's the great thing about the format. You don't know it's going to be a ten. But look, here's what would make good television: is what I would say is you need. You need, you need somebody to like really get the evening going. You need somebody who's going to make conversation happen. Because if people don't talk, you've got, you've got no television show. Goosan. No, Brodge. You've got to have Brendan Rogers there. You yes. need him telling his stories, his talking about story. himself. He's got to like piss off a few. Person. He's got to piss off a few people. He's got to have some stuff. Then you need asking s- questions and then saying back to me. Yeah, and then you need you need someone who's just like a bad boy. You need the bad boy there. You need someone with Lee Dixon. You need someone with shagging stories. You need <laughs> you need. You need, you need someone who can do this. It's Andy Carroll. Like what? He's going to show up late, maybe with a couple of birds. He's, you not, know, he's not going to know what to do with food unless it's served off a naked woman. <laughs> it's going to be tough. What? Knife tough. and forks? I know. So, Never so heard they of got them. Brodge. You got Andy Carroll. Yeah. Then you need, you need the diametric. Oh, you, need, you need somebody who is sort of the observer who thinks, this is all a bit weird. What's going on? So you need, you need a player who comes from the continent. You know, somebody French, I think, would be good because they're, they're used to fine dining and they're going to be pretty appalled by the food. Thinking Kurt Zuma would be good. A bit of a wild card. We don't know a lot about Kurt Zuma. I think, I've watched him play live a few times and he, he makes extraordinary noises and he, he seems to have bags of personality. Apparently very intelligent. A very intelligent guy, Kurt Zuma. I think he comes to life when the port is passed. Yeah, I like Zuma. And then you need, you need someone who comes... I was thinking Joey Barton would be great yeah. to go and be the fourth one because there'll be a fight. With all three of them. He's not simply one of those people who spears food off your plate yeah. with his own fork without asking. He knows no boundaries. But I'm thinking, what I don't like about dinner, I don't mind doing the cooking, but I need some help with some of it. And I also need lots of help clearing up. And that's got to be James Milner. <sighs> Milner's going to help clean up and look after it. And also... Always you, hovering anxiously need, in the kitchen. You need somebody who's not going to talk too much. <sighs> so thought, that would be my thought. I'd go with all of those, David. Yeah. I definitely would. I'd only add Antonio Conte. Oh, my word. God, I just want to know what it feels to be such a lion. Yeah. I really do. I also believe I've got a feeling this Cacio e Pepe recipe must be to die for. Yeah. I'd, invite, I'd definitely invite Mark Clattenburg. Yeah, Platts. Yeah, so once we've had... Well, if you don't invite him, he'll show up anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but I'd only invite him 
So that once we've had a few too many Malbecs, yeah. I can just tell him to his face what a knob he is. <laughs> and if I do that, yeah. then I've got to invite, I've got to invite Juan Mata. Mm. Just to make, he's the kind of guy, like, after that awkward moment, after that, when I really go for clats, and it's like a bit on edge and the night's feeling a bit off. Yeah. Juan Mata just yeah. made everyone suddenly he's social yeah. graces he's got he's, he the, gets the, out his ukulele when the air and you'll sing along yeah, with Juan Mata he just pull a harmonica out of nowhere yeah. and a little juice harp yeah. he'd be the social glue he'd just give out the hugs yeah so so good Rog okay your weekend looks like this on Saturday newly minted Cuppity Cup Cup champions Man United host Bournemouth at 7.30am that's followed by Liverpool the cherries oh it's a big game Liverpool versus Arsenal at 12.30 on Sunday oh, Everton that is, that is travel. dark forces around that game self-loathing oh, I'm going to watch this game 10. with two Arsenal fans <laughs> by the way Everton travel to White Hart Lane to take on a surging Tottenham at 8.30am all of those games on live NBC, on NBC. SN. and on Dot Sunday com. in MLS action Orlando City opened their new stadium Rog that's an amazing stadium downtown by playing host to NYC FC that's at 5pm on ESPN afterwards a Dax McCarty less Red Bulls team head to new kids on the block Atlanta United FC that's at 7.30pm on FS1 there are many ways to connect to us one is through our Amazon Emporium which helps keep the show going anytime you go on Amazon Frightens Big or Small just stick off the Emporium page and Men in Blazers gets a tiny percentage that allows us to cover the cost of creating the show what are you putting in the Emporium this week Rogelio a book Soccer Under the Swastika wow by Kevin E. Simpson yeah combines two of my most is, is this your pen name is this about? another one of your pen names <laughs> If there's a book that you would have written, it, it would be Soccer Under the but Swastika. But it's not in my handwriting, this yeah. book, Dave. That's the proof. It's an uh-huh. untold history of the truly unbelievable role football played before and during the Holocaust. A story which encapsulates a Nazi purge of once incredibly Jewish clubs like Bayern Munich. Yes, yeah. I crap you not. And Dutch powers Ajax. And a love of football which just would not be vanquished with leagues being organised in ghettos across Europe, mm. including Terizon, the antechamber to Auschwitz. Games that were played even within concentration camps, which is absolutely mind-blowing. I mean, the book tells a slew of stories, preserving the memory of hundreds of footballers who would otherwise be forgotten by history. And it's ultimately a testament to the joy football can bring and humans' primal connection to the game. Okay, uh, Rog, tough pivot here for me on my Emporium pick as uh, normal. I've just got two words for you. Compression socks. Rog, compression socks. Are you reading my mind? Yeah, I don't understand the uh, the medical research behind this, but I've been told by a few people, and just don't give me a hard time over Twitter if you, if you don't like my... my <laughs> I, I, listen, people, I don't endorse anything. Just people tell me things and I try them. Your and pills. if they work for me, Your and pills. if they work for me, I do it. I'm sure this is just as much of a placebo as anything else I do in my life. But I'm, I'm that kind of a person. Things work for me if I believe in them. I won't have a bad word said about Herbalife. <laughs> compression socks, <laughs> Rog. Compression socks. You know, I fly a lot. I'm on a plane pretty much every week somewhere. Los Angeles, London, Seattle. Sometimes just looping around LaGuardia yeah, and then landing at JFK. Just, sometimes I do that. And... Um, I started wearing compression socks when I find long compression. Like I like a lot of sock. I like, I like to wear a lot of sock and wear the long socks to play golf. I've put those in the, in the store before. But now when I fly, I wear graduated compression socks, Roger. I'm putting in the Midsocks 2030 MMHG graduated compression sock. Pff, they are a bargain at $14.95 uh, a pair. I love wearing them. I feel better. I feel like my legs don't fall asleep so badly on the plane. They don't get that awful dead flight feeling. I feel energized when I get off the plane. 
And um, frankly, I look quite sexy. <laughs> <laughs> How's that different than any other day, mate? Yeah, well, it's just compression sock related sexy. Visit meninblazers.com to sign up for our newsletter, which we produce with our partner Guinness. This week, we have a piece on our favourite bookstores in America. Rog, follow us on Twitter at meninblazers, at Embassy Davies, at Rog Bennett on Instagram, at meninblazers, at Embassy underscore Davies on Facebook, meninblazers. You can always send your ravens to the crap part of Soho. You can always email us at meninblazers at gmail.com. Vendorpunk, Rog. War pig. Who wants to sex Batombo? Explosion. Play the babies. Hate that, Gloria. Is that your analysis? Abrigado, rock on, mate. Kung fu fight in America. Love you, David. Love you, Rog. This was Ranch. And Dabo. <laughs> ranch. Hey, Ranch. Hey, Dabo. There's some trouble downtown. Stay in charge. <laughs> ranch and Dabo bar fight. Ranch and Dabo. We like nothing ranch more than the bar fight. Dabo.